a sermon title up that will be up there, I think, that uh, they have for you in the back. And I've called it Safety in Our Joy. I want to talk to you. Oh, uh, do I need this? No. no. I'll take it. I want to talk to you this morning about joy. Joy is an awesome word, is it not? Joy is a, 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 it's not a concept, it's not an idea, it's, it's an emotion, frankly, that is lifted up in Scripture, Old and New Testament, particularly New Testament, and... So I, I see John, it reminds me the pain that James and John and Billy, that doesn't sound right, James, John, and Billy, uh, had yesterday assembling this amazing gizmo over here for the baptisms. If you look at it sitting there, you have no idea what goes in. You thought we'd just roll that out there, didn't you? Not so. It's an amazing task. My hands will never be the same. I want to tell you a story to introduce this idea of joy. Anybody here ever a miner, a coal miner, or have any connection with that industry? Well, it's dangerous, we know that. And the biggest danger is the gases that can accumulate in those mine shafts. Carbon monoxide, um, methane, and can kill you. So before more modern technology came along, it was discovered that if you put canaries in little cages along the mine shaft, they can be your alarm system because their metabolism is very sensitive to these gases. And so the canaries are happy little birds, and they're chirping and singing all the time uh, but if they stop it means there's problem in the mine shaft so the miners would always listen for the canaries singing and if it stopped they got out of dodge fast they needed to find a new location okay and I share that with you because that's the way joy works for us is your heart singing today. If the singing stops, it's a warning sign in relation to your joy. Amen? Uh, The Apostle Paul had a tremendous focus on joy in his writings in the New Testament. In Philippians 31, he said, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. You hear what he's saying? Uh, I write about this all the time. I write it again and again. That you're going to rejoice in the Lord. And I do this because it's, it's safe for you. It brings safety to you. Just like the canaries did for the miners, our joy is a part of keeping us safe in the Lord. And when we don't have it, be warned. Something is amiss. Paul also said, Rejoice in the Lord, how much? Always. And again, I say, rejoice. And we can go on and on with Paul's exhortations about rejoicing. 
And in fact, Paul said in a couple of places, one was 2 Corinthians, he says, we, talking to the churches, he says, we work, we apostles, we ministers of the gospel, we work for your, what's the word? Your joy. Because joy is so essential for you and I as followers of Jesus. Jesus, of course, had a focus on joy as well. And one of his statements about joy was, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, this is in John chapter 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Wow! You can meditate on that all day long. So, the joy we have as believers, it's so important to our Christian life and walk, is really whose joy? It's His joy. My joy in you. That your joy may be full. So we have joy, and Jesus has joy. And he's put his, his joy in us. We, we're familiar with Galatians 5.22 where we have the fruit of the Spirit listed. And we know that love is first. I don't think they're in an order that is necessarily significant particularly because faith is pretty far back and we know how important that is. But it starts out with love and then joy and then peace. So we know that the joy we need to walk in is Jesus' joy, and we have it in us by His Spirit. Hallelujah. I don't have to stir it up. I don't have to... I just have to walk in it. As I walk by the Spirit. I don't know if you've heard of the Westminster Catechism. Has anybody ever, ever heard of that? Okay, the Westminster Catechism was written a long time ago. I don't know when. Uh, sure, I guess. Doesn't really matter. But it was written by a bunch of people we call divines. Because they were old and they wore funny clothes. And they studied the word all the time. And they would get together and have these meetings uh, where they would make these catechisms. And catechisms uh, were a way, and I think it's not a bad idea, to help followers of Jesus learn important things and remember them. Great way to teach children the things of God. And they did it by asking the question and providing an answer. That's the way catechism works. Questions and answers. And the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? That's old language. Makes me think of Indians and and saluting. but, But it means, what is the most important purpose we're on this earth for? What is the chief end of man? That's the question. And the answer is, anybody know? You're on the right track? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is amazing. That really does sum up the teaching of Scripture about our purpose to take every step on this earth as followers of Jesus. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Not just now, certainly beyond this age and into our future in eternity with Him. So, 
think you agree with me that glorifying God is why we're here. That means that we, we, we live our lives by the way we think, the way we speak, the things we say. Everything we do is to point to how glorious our God is and how powerful He is in us as believers in the gospel. But what the catechism tied to that is, so the way you glorify Him is to enjoy Him. Walk in the joy of Jesus. Now, there's a guy named John Piper. I don't know if you've heard of him. I got to hug him once. It was such a treat. I love the guy. Uh, he's been a mentor to me by reading his books. And uh, he took that statement, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and, and kind of tweaked it and, and, and put it this way, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. Isn't that good? God is the most glorified in my life when I, in my life, am most satisfied in who my God is. Most joyful, satisfied in who my God is. So, I'm saying all this to say that joy is a big deal. It's a very big deal in our lives. We can't say, well, I put my faith in God... It doesn't really matter whether I delight in Him or rejoice in Him. I, I believe He died and rose from the dead. I was baptized. I go to church. Well, isn't it really that important I delight in God? Uh, yes, it is. We must delight in our God. Be joyful in our God. My brothers and sisters, that's what Christians do. We delight in God. We find our joy and delight in Jesus above all else. What we find our joy in is what we glorify. What we magnify. If I find my joy in climbing the, the ladder of, 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 uh, of life and, and being rich and successful and... Uh, I glorify that. Right? I magnify that. Because that's what brings me joy. If, if eating brownies a la mode every day, which sounds like a pretty good idea, and that's what brings me great joy, I glorify brownies a la mode. Like we say, ice cream on a brownie. Yeah. Uh, Whatever I delight in, I bring glory to. If I delight in pornography, I glorify pornography in my life. If I delight in my spouse, I bring honor and glory to my spouse, which is a good thing. As long as that is not my passion above the greatest of all passions, which is to delight in my God. Because if I delight in anything else more find joy in anything more other than Him, I'm an idolater. That's what idolatry is, to, to glorify and worship something else more than I do God. So joy is a big deal. And I wanna, I'm not going to take long this morning. I have a reputation. But I'm, I'm, and I just made the cardinal mistake of a preacher. You never say that. Never, ever, ever say that, but then you didn't hear it. Because I will disappoint you every time I say that. I don't want to do it. But 
as Paul said in Philippians 3.1 that we just referred to, rejoice in the Lord because this is safe for you. I want to think with you about a few ways that our joy keeps us safe and protects us in our Christian walk. Okay? First, it protects us from an attitude of religious duty. <laughs> Amen? We must not serve our Lord out of any kind of a sense of duty or obligation. The devil loves that. Now, all of us are called. We have a general call and a specific call. Our general call is that we're called to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to put it that way. Our our individual specific calls have to do with the way God's gifted us, uh, where he's put us, the church we're in, uh, uh, and, and, and what he has set before us to do. And in all of that, we're supposed to do it with joy. Psalm 100, verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Amen? So, listen to this verse. This is heavy. In Deuteronomy 28. This is when a bunch of tribes of Israel were up on Mount Ebal, and the others were over on Mount Gerizim, I think is where the names of the mountains. And there was blessing and curses. Uh, and it was all a time of the warning, preparing them to go into the promised land. But a statement God makes through Moses on the, under the section that's the curses says this, and it's spoken as if it's past tense. But I think it's really spoken in past tense because God knew this would be accurate in the future. So he spoke it as if it already happened. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. In other words, the way he the way he blessed his people, but you did not serve me with joyful and glad, joyfulness and gladness of heart, therefore you shall, shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Now there's a lot of theology in there which I'm not going to even begin to try to unpack. But what I want you to hear is God's saying joy is a big deal because you did not serve me in this land with joy and gladness, in the NIV, in that New Living, it says, If you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you have received, you'll serve your enemies, and I will bring against you. God is serious about us serving with joy. I want to give you an illustration. I'm going to ask my beloved wife of almost 40 years to come up front and join me. She said, what do I have to say? Yes, this is Donna. We celebrate 40 years on November 17th. Now, if on our anniversary, November 17th, I come to the house and I bought a bouquet of flowers at Ingalls. I better do more than this for 40th, but just for the sake of illustration. And I come into the living room where she is and I say, it's our anniversary. Here's some flowers for you. That's what I'm supposed to do on our anniversary, give you flowers. 
Thanks for being my wife for 40 years. What's she going to want to do with those flowers? <laughs> Hit me with them. However, if I come in and I say, Darling, it's our 40th anniversary today. I bought you the best flowers I could find at Ingalls. I wish I, had, I wish I could lasso the moon and pull it down and give it to you. I'd give you anything I could because I love you so much. I can't believe I've had the privilege of being your husband for the last 40 years. Mm. Yeah. She'd love the flowers, wouldn't she? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but that's the difference between duty and delight. And we are called to serve the Lord with delight. Amen. Delight in Him in our service. If you can't find joy in what God has called you to do, you may be doing the wrong thing. That may be the answer. Or, possibly and more likely, your eyes are not fixed on the right things. You're looking at people. You're looking at circumstances. I, I couldn't help but think of Mary and Martha in this regard. We all love the story of Mary and Martha, right? And uh, poor Martha, she gets the brunt of, you know, getting beat up as we retell that story. I think she had an, an amazing gift of serving and was a wonderful lady. Um, but in this particular instance, when Jesus and the disciples came to the house... It says that she came to Jesus. We know where Mary was, right? Where was Mary? She was at the feet of Jesus, listening, hanging on every word that he said. And Martha was busy preparing a meal. And I say, Amen. But, but listen to her heart. She came to Jesus and she says, Lord, please speak to my sister. I'm paraphrasing here. But speak to my sister. And it says this, Jesus said to her, Oh, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. It was bigger than her just being upset with Mary. She was worried and troubled about many. She was not serving joyfully. Okay? She was serving out of duty. I've got guests in my house. I'd love to be doing something else, but it is Jesus. I guess I better fix a meal. But Mary, Jesus said, chose the better part. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She was doing the wrong attitude. But Mary chose the best thing. She was delighting in Jesus. Delighting in what would make her strong and more joyful. His words, his life, his just being with him. In the presence of the Lord, fullness of joy. Amen? So, joy keeps us safe from serving the wrong way. Are you with me? Joy keeps us safe from fear and doubt in times of trial and suffering. This is a big deal. And this is a major role of joy. Hebrews 12, 2. You know this verse. Listen to it in light of what we're talking about. Looking to Jesus, this is what we're supposed to do, it says in, in, in the beginning of Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus, that's what we do, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy 
set before him, endured the cross. That's profound. It's an amazing principle, an amazing truth. Jesus is suffering the greatest suffering ever known in the history of creation. And how was he enduring it? By future joy. His, his heart, his mind, his eyes were fixed on the joy set before him. It's not saying it was joyful for him to be on the cross. It's saying he endured it by the joy set before him. Hope in future joy brings the ability to find strength in the present, to endure the suffering in the present. Even to find joy in that suffering sometimes. I'll give you another verse, Hebrews 10.34. A chapter before, it's talking about the people of God. And it says, whoever wrote Hebrews said, You joyfully, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, how many of us could do that? I don't think, I'd have a hard time with that. Joyfully accepting the plundering of my property. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I can envision all kind of ways my stuff could be plundered. And they're being commended because they accepted it not with sorrow or accept, they didn't just accept it, they accepted it joyfully, and it tells us why. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Same thing Jesus said about Jesus on the cross. Because they had their minds on future joy, future grace. So, this doesn't matter. If my property gets plundered, I've got a greater possession. I've got much better things than this. So I can endure. I can even rejoice. First Thessalonians one six, Paul says to the Thessalonians, So you receive the message with joy in the Holy Spirit. Actually it says with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering that it brought you. I'll read that one more time. You receive the message, the gospel, with joy from the Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. And I think if you study the New Testament, and I could go on and on with examples where joy is coupled with suffering. A strange thing, but profound. When you read about suffering in the New Testament, nine times out of ten, it's going to talk about joy in the same context. Joy keeps us safe. Joy is what helps us endure and have the right perspective no matter what we go through. It worked for Jesus and it works for us because we're possessed by the same Spirit. One more on this point. In the Hebrews 11 chapter Hall of Fame of Faith, when it speaks of Moses the second time, it says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures, joys of sin. The world has lots of joys, in quotes. 
to offer us. Amen? Lots of pleasures, lots of things we can idolize instead of having Christ as our only joy. And Moses said, no. I can have all the city of Egypt but I am going to suffer with God's people. And this is what it says after that. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead, looking ahead to his great reward. The joy that was in his future. If we keep our eyes fixed on the joy that is in us by the Spirit, the joy of Jesus, we can endure and we can make wise decisions. It will protect us from trial and suffering and having the wrong attitude in it. One more. Only one more. Joy keeps us safe from temptation. That's a big deal. It's a really simple truth. Joy in the Lord will guard us from the attractions and baits that the enemy sets before us. That's pretty much what we just read that happened with Moses. Joy in the Lord is something that we're supposed to be full of. Right? Be filled. Full of the Spirit, we're full of joy. Now, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Not really, but it's coming in November. And, uh, and what do we love about Thanksgiving? Everything. Which is food, right? Uh, <laughs> thanking God for abundance, which is what the Israelites didn't do. And God said, I'm going to, your enemies will come upon you. So, so we celebrate Thanksgiving because back to our great nation. In the beginning, we're celebrating the abundance God gave. We're rejoicing in the abundance. And so we eat. And we eat, and we eat, at least I do. And I eat until I can't eat anymore. And so the sight of another piece of apple pie begins to repulse me, right? It happens, if you eat enough. And, and that's the principle here. When we're full of the joy of the Lord, there is no room for us to be tempted by earthly joys. Amen? Because we're so in tune, full of the joy of the Lord that everything else loses its power over us. That's the secret of deliverance from, from any, ultimately, addiction. That's the bottom line. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not, I'm not trying to simplify that too much. But I'm saying... I believe that's the bottom line. It's got to be those voids that we fill with other things have to be filled with Jesus, and then there's no room for the other things. It's hard for Satan to tempt a believer who's full of the joy of the Lord with the empty pleasures of sin. And joy is something we've got to fight for, just like faith. Paul says, I fought the good fight of faith, right? Faith and joy, these are the fruits of the Spirit. But in the way God's economy is, the things He gives us, we still have to fight for. And we've got to fight for joy. Focus our energies on being satisfied in Jesus. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, 
rejoice. In it we find safety and strength to fight against temptation and sin. And this is not another safety point, but it's just one more little point. I'm going to sneak in and I'm done. Pray. Pray. Listen, listen to what Jesus said. Ask and you will receive. So, pray and I will answer that your joy may be full. You see how, you see what? He ties our prayer life to our fullness of joy. If you want to fight for joy, prayer is essential. I want to confess to you, that's the biggest struggle I have in fighting for joy. I want to be a man of prayer, and I'm not content that I am. So I'll confess to you this morning, pray for me, that I can be a better man of prayer because I want to I, I'm preaching to me this morning and I want to be full of the joy of the Lord and I, I see that Jesus says okay then you ask so you receive my abundance more you ask you stay in my presence where there's fullness of joy you ask and you'll find that fullness of joy the joy that keeps us safe is related to our prayer life can you hear the canary singing this morning? <laughs> Amen. When you don't hear him singing, your heart, your soul is not full in singing that song of joy to your God. Be warned. Get out of, get away from where you are. And fight for joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, anybody in here this morning who says, you know, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Joy of the Lord. You know, I, I kind of thought I, you know, I believe in God, but I, you said if I don't delight in Jesus, i got a problem. Yeah, you do. Because the Holy Spirit in you will make you hungry and thirsty to delight in Jesus. Um, so maybe you don't really know Him. That's a, that's a danger too, because it's easy to be convinced you know Him, but you don't. And one of the great evidences of Virginian salvation is joy and a hunger for joy. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He gives joy. When you taste that joy, you, you want it. You want Him. You want more of Him. So I would just encourage you, if, if you have questions this morning, I think there's usually people standing right over here and, and they would love to talk to you and pray with you about your status. Before a holy God that says you need his righteousness. And he'll give it to you if you confess your sins. And repent. And you can find out what this joy is all about. Amen? Amen? Can I lead us in a prayer? Nope. Patty.